0: Hey, good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Come on, put your hands together. Finale of At The Movies, my name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us, welcome. So glad that you're here. We hope you will, as Brian and Zoe said, fill out some kind of information that we can reach out to you and connect and help move you forward uh, and be a part of the family. A couple of quick announcements before we get into the word today. Number one, you're gonna see in front of you a QR code on the chair in front of you. If at any point throughout the service you'd like to take a next step, whether you're surrendering your life to Jesus today, you wanna get baptized in water, join a small group, whatever it might be, if you'll scan that QR code, going to send you kind of a little form you can fill out, and we'll reach out to you and take it from there, but it's just an opportunity for you if you don't want to make a, if you you don't have that opportunity throughout the day, we want you to be able to connect and take that next step. Uh, Also, next Sunday, we will start a new series the second week in November, but next Sunday we're going to do kind of a standalone message. I've been wanting to do this for a couple weeks, but we were in the center of at the movies, and I didn't want to mess that flow up. But with all that's going on, wars, rumors of wars, all this kind of thing, maybe you're in environments at work or with friends where people are starting to talk about things like the, the end times or the last days. And maybe you have a high you know, theological education in that aspect. Maybe you don't really know the whole story behind that. And maybe you're just not really sure if you should actually be worried right now or if this is just kind of an everyday thing. And you just got questions and so on. And maybe all of that leads back to this question, how should I be living today? What what does that look like? And I want to just kind of take some time and preach towards that. And it's a message called Live Like There's No Tomorrow. And I just kind of want to talk through how you and I should be living every day. with the climate of what's happening in our culture today. So I I think it's going to be informative, educational, helpful. So I encourage you to be back here next week for that. Bring a family, friend. I think we're going to have a good time in this place as we just look at some scripture together. Um, As Zoe said, it is the last Sunday of At The Movies. We've done Top Gun 2. You remember Top Gun 2? We did Collateral Beauty, and everybody left here crying. Uh, And then we did Transformers Rise of the Beast Last Sunday and today, you may already know the theme of today on some of the hidden clues. But if not, open your popcorn, pop your Cokes, and let's check out the movie for today. Hey, how many of y'all have seen Super Mario Brothers? Let me see your hands. You know, I was telling First Service, it's, it's such a fun time, probably in the past 15, 20 years, where they're starting to make kids' movies entertaining for adults you know, and there was a time where if you had children, you had to go watch your movie with your kid. And even though it was valuable time together, it was miserable because the movie was no fun to watch. And, and now it's creative, and it's got great storyline and action and emotion, and there's always kind of some hidden jokes for us. And so a lot of times we leave the theater, and we had more fun watching the movie than our kids did. And that's certainly an aspect with this one. But one of the reasons why I wanted to choose it is because what you see happening throughout the movie is that Mario is really trying to um, identify who he is. And so he's, he's kind of not, he's not pleased with where he is in life and he's getting a lot of, of, you know, influence from family and friends and so on about whether or not he's succeeding at life. And he's just, he's just on this pursuit, of this journey of trying to identify who he is. And I think for a lot of us, This is what we deal with in life is that maybe we're not really pleased with where we are. We think that there should be more. There should be more to our life. And we've got a lot of voices in our life trying to tell us who we are and, you know, what our purpose is and how we're doing. And we're kind of on this journey and trying to figure out our identity. And I want you to understand that our culture is very interested in the journey of discovering individual identity, if you haven't been able to tell, the, the average culture that we're living in, they are pushing very hard on trying to identify you. <laughs> they understand that we're struggling identifying ourselves, so they come in and say, hey, we'll help you. We'll help it identify you for you. And there's just this, this you know insane excitement, insane investment that our culture has in trying to help us find who we are. And it seems like everyone is searching for either someone or something to tell them who they are and where they belong. You know, for example, there's a lot of personality tests going on right now. Um, I can't can't remember the newest one that came out. What Enneagram, thank you. In the Enneagram, you know, you can take all these different tests and things out, and you can find out something about you, and I'm not bashing those things. I'm just saying there's all kinds of different programs and quizzes and self-help books and all these kind of buzz Buzzfeed quizzes and all these kind of things where you can just gather information and try to kind of define who you are. When I was young, my sister was four to five years older than me, depending on what time of the year it is, and she had these magazines called Seventeen Magazines. Do y'all remember these things? Seventeen Magazine. And every magazine had a quiz. And so even though I wasn't a girl and I wasn't teenage, however old she was, I I, I felt like I needed that in my life, you know. So I would take all these quizzes and trying to figure out information about me. I was just, you know, I wanted to know what best feature I had was, you know, or whatever the situation was. And so uh, I would just take all these quizzes and gain all this very useless information. And I was just searching so hard in that season of my life. And and I think it's real easy to assume that young people, teenagers— are on this pursuit and search for identity. But a lot of times it doesn't stop there. And a lot of times we can be in our mid-20s, mid-30s, mid-40s. We can even be 50, 60, 70, 80, still trying to figure out who am I? What, what, what is God's calling on my life? What's my identity? What's my purpose? And if we're not careful, we'll allow wrong influences to come in and we'll just keep going back and forth through this circle trying to figure out how, who we are instead of going to the one who created us to define that to begin with. And I believe that one of the greatest impacts, listen to me, of a life that surrendered to Christ, one of the greatest impacts of that is not found necessarily in what we do, but it's found in revelation of who we are. Watch this. You know, you can hear the disappointment in his voice. Here he is, he's like, you know, I'm just tired of being so small, tired, tired of feeling so small, tired of trying to search and find who I am only to arrive at... Um, An answer that's a disappointment, only to feel like a disappointment. Some of you have maybe actually lived that moment where you're sitting at the table with all your friends and family, and they're talking about what a failure you are, right? Maybe you've experienced some of those moments. Our world tends to encourage you and I to look into ourselves for identity, to to, to look within and find who you are based off of your abilities and so on, which naturally will lead to you and I identifying ourselves by external things outside things, things that have nothing to do with God or, or the one who created us, but by external things. And external things, listen to me, will always lead to comparison or disappointment. For example, culture tells us to identify, some of us, we're, we're trying to identify who we are in our careers, right? We're, we're shaped by what we do. Think about it. Majority of people, when we meet them for the first time, we ask their name and then we ask what? What do you do? Because culture is shaping us to somehow identify and label and put worth on somebody based off of their career. Some of us have kind of founded our identity in our relationship status. And who we are depends on whether or not we're married or whether we're divorced or whether we're single or whether we have kids or don't have kids. And somehow that becomes some type of label of identification. If we're a student, sometimes it's by our grades. Sometimes it's by our popularity in school whether it's a student or adult, for all of us, we if we're not careful, we'll find our identity in our appearance. Am I pretty? Am I, am I not so pretty? Am I short? Am I tall? What does culture say? What does the world say? We're looking to external things, watch this, which are always going to either lead us to compare ourselves to others, which is always bad, because there's always somebody who's better looking. There's always somebody who's doing better. There's always somebody who's made more money and won more, right? Or we'll just be, we'll just find disappointment. So you either, you either leads you to disappointment or it leads you to comparison, which then leads you to disappointment. When we put our identity in external things, it's important for you to understand that our identity then becomes unstable because the things we've put our identity in can change any minute. For example, if you put your identity in your career, what happens if you lose your job? right? So now, you're, now your identity is unstable because your job's unstable. If you put your identity in a relationship status, what happens when that relationship changes, right? If all you've ever been is a wife, what happens when there's a divorce? If all you've ever been is a parent or all you've ever been is a child, like what happens when that relationship status shifts? If you put your identity in your finances, what happens when you go broke, what happens when gas now charges, you know, $300 a gallon? Like, like what do you do at that point? Your, your identity is unstable. What happens if your grades go up and down? Listen, my point in telling you that is life is constantly up and down, roller coaster, changing. And if you put your identity in things of this world, your identity as well is unstable. Your identity is up and down. You're good. You're bad. You're purposed, unpurposed. But God is unchanging, He's he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. forever. So if my identity is in God, then my identity is secure. My identity is stable. Make sense? If our identity is found in external things, it's unstable. If our identity is found in God, it's stable. In Galatians chapter 3, Pastor Paul is talking to the church in Galatia. And watch what he says. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then watch what he goes on to say. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and therefore you are heirs according to the promise. Let me break down what Paul's telling you. Paul's saying you are a child of God. Not because you saw God birth you. Not because you performed with some action, okay? You are a child of God because God promised you would be, and you are believing that by faith. All right, I'm teaching you theology here. God has called you a child of his, promised in his scriptures that it would happen through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and you believe that by faith, and it makes you a child of God. Does that make sense? So it's not a concept of like, I don't know if I am. You believe by faith that God keeps his promises, and he promised that you are a child of God. So let's try something out real quick. Answer this question to yourself. Don't answer it out loud. Who do you think you are? I thought it'd be fun. I don't have the time for this, like to pass out little index cards and make you write three or four words or a sentence down on who you think you are. And, like, and don't, don't put down the word that you, you give to people when you want people to leave you alone. And so you act like you've got your whole life figured out. Like, like write down the, the problem, you know, the things you struggle with. Who do you think you are? So, so this is over here, who you think you are. Now watch this. Now ask yourself, how do you think that aligns with who God says you are? So over here is who you think you are based off of your activity, based off your experience, based off your relationships, based off of what friends and family have told you, your accomplishments, how successful you've been. You've shaped who you think you are. It's over here. And then over here is who scripture says, how it says God sees you. All right, put them together. Now watch this. Here's the last question. What do you do with the space that's in between? Assuming that that, that, that wasn't, accurate matching, assuming there was some space between what you think and what God says, what do you do with the space that's in between? Let me give you an illustration to make my point. I was in eighth grade and uh, I was suffering from the eighth grade chubbiness era. Right? y'all know what I'm talking about. You're still kind of coming off that baby fat. Don't 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 try to look at me now and go, is it eighth grade? Back up, okay. But but back then it was you know it was obvious. It was just it was just the baby fat stage. And I was like, man, I really I, I want to do something to shift my identity. I want I want to be better looking. I want to figure something out. And I had this bright idea that I would go get a haircut because we all know that if you get a certain haircut, now all of a sudden you lose 50 pounds, right? You know what I mean? Like it doesn't. I'm not sure where I got that theology. But I go to supercuts. That was my first mistake. And I hope nobody works Supercuts in here. That'd be awkward. And so (laughs) I got to remember those things as the church grows. And so I get to Supercuts, and uh, I tell the lady my situation, I'm a little vague. I don't want to know how desperate I am. And she goes, I got an idea. She said, I'm going to give you the George Clooney look. Okay. If you, George Clooney, in this time frame, I don't know when this was, a long time ago, George Clooney was like the heartthrob. He was like the hottest person of the world on the magazines and all that. So I was like, yes, cut my hair so that I go from chubby eighth grade Troy to heartthrob George Clooney, right? That makes sense. All you need is a haircut. Is this haircut $3,000? You know what I mean? Like what's going to happen here? So she, she, she preps my hair and she never lets me look at the mirror, which should have been a sign. That right there should have been a sign. And if you're getting your haircut, always say, can you just occasionally spin me around? Let me check. Just let me check. You know what I mean? And so finally she gets done. She spins me around. She's like, ta-da, George Clooney. And y'all, I'm looking at the mirror. Let me give you what I looked at. Imagine if the top of your hair is soaking wet, all right? So it's flat, just flat. It's so flat that the sides of your hair stick up. Past the top of your hair, like Wolverine or Batman. All right, I mean, like, like, and imagine this look with a chubby face. All right, it's terrible. And and then she, if that wasn't bad enough, she she took my bangs and she got them real soaking wet and she made these little like waves, like shark teeth, out of them. Some of them were going past my eyebrows, guys. And I'm looking at I'm I'm looking at the mirror, thinking, help him, Jesus. And she's like. Ta-da! George Clooney! And I'm like, what what do you do <laughs> when somebody is identifying you as one thing, but you're seeing something else? Right? right? Like what do we do with that space? in between what happens when you're being identified as a son of God, identified as a daughter of God, identified as someone who's free and purposed and has a mission and called and sanctified and redeemed. What do you do when that's what people are identifying you as but what you see doesn't quite line up with what you're being told? Right? What do you what do you do with that space that's in between what God who God says I am? and who I think I am. I believe that one of the most important revelations that you and I can get from the Word of God is to understand who we are to God. Watch this. (laughs) I love hearing all the, aw. You know, it's so funny because you literally see the moment where pride sets in. With Mario, right? It's the wink moment, you know, where he's like, all of a sudden, I got this under control. I'm, I'm, I am this, I'm able to do this. And then boom, life strikes, right? Reality hits. Truth is that many of us have experienced growing up in a religious culture that tells us that our identity is based on our activity, right? That our identity is shaped by what we do. And therefore we fight these feelings of inadequacy, insufficiency, competence, And then we find ourselves in a place where we think we have to prove who we are by performance. So let's go back to my question. When I say, what do we do with this space between who we think we are and who the Word of God says we are, because there's space there and we think that activity shapes identity, we start performing to try to move and eliminate that space. That if we can act and do, we can move this lack of the identity and get closer to and become that. We think we can activate or or act like or work or do to become because we think activity forms identity it's why all of us have found ourselves in place where we've made excuses before for our performance I shared a while back how I got the opportunity to go preach at a friend of mine's church. They have church at night. It's a smaller new church. And uh, I got there and the spirit of God was just, it was a great place and we had a great time and there were testimonies. there. There's one couple that were atheists and they had gotten saved and were living their life for God. And it was just beautiful what God was doing, but the crowd is small. And so after I got done preaching and altar time and all that kind of stuff, I went to talk to him and he said, uh, first thing he said to me was he started to explain to me where people were and why the crowd was so small. And I remember having to tell him, like, hey, that's irrelevant to me. Like, God's moving in this place. But again, when we think that we're short on performance, when we think that activity defines identity, then when that performance is short, we'll start saying things and doing things to try to prove that we are that. We'll try to perform to prove. And if we aren't careful, we will allow ourselves to be defined, watch this, by either our lowest moment or our greatest achievement. And both are dangerous. If we think activity defines identity, then we'll allow ourselves to be defined by either our lowest moment or our greatest achievement. Here's why both are dangerous. Number one, when we have our greatest achievement, if we're not careful, pride sneaks in. And we start to think it was by our power, and we start to think that we don't need God anymore, and that maybe we've got this thing figured out, and maybe we are holier than all. And we start to believe this, and then we start to miss out on the power of God, and the presence of God, and the help of God, and then we realize that's not us. So we get this moment where we think we're above and better than other people, and maybe even better than God. And then in our lowest moment, if we're in our lowest moment, we can find ourselves in insecurity and start to think that we are less than. So one makes us think we're more than, and one makes us think that we're less than, and both. Both are wrong, and both are dangerous, because down here, you'll start to think that only you fail, and only you make mistakes, and then you realize that everybody fails, and everybody makes mistakes. So we've all had a lowest moment, and we've all had a greatest achievement, but listen to me, your identity is not found in either one. Your identity is not in your lowest moment, and it's not in your greatest achievement. I want to show you something. If you've been around Victory for, for any amount of time, you know this is one of my favorite scriptures to preach, and it is so, so obvious what God's trying to tell us about our identity. But in a world where we're just trying to read and mark a devotional and move on, we can miss the heart of God and the message from God. So Matthew chapter 3, before I read it, let me set you up with the context. Jesus is about to begin his ministry. This is so important for you to understand. Jesus has not done anything. He's not performed any miracles. He hasn't healed anybody, hasn't raised anybody from the dead. He's just been waiting for his father to give him the green light. Then he goes to get baptized by John the Baptist. This is going to be the green light starting point for his ministry. We're going to pick up verse 16. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven opens and saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, watch this, this is my son. Whom I love and with whom I'm pleased. This is my son, identity. Who are you? My son, identity. Whom I love, affection, and with whom I'm well pleased. Approval, affirmation. God lays these things on Jesus before he had done anything in the middle of preaching in first service, the Lord gave me this revelation. of he could, have, he could have said this over Jesus at the cross. The Bible says we looked at it last week, and then he breathed his last. Wouldn't that have been the moment for heaven to open and for the voice of God to say, that's my son whom I love because of what he did? And I'm well pleased because he stayed it course and did what I asked him to do. No, God said, if I do this now, then my future sons and my future daughters will get it twisted. And they'll start thinking that my love and affection and identity for them is based on what they do. So let me tell Jesus before he does anything. let Let me let him know before he does anything, he's my son. I love him. I'm well pleased with him. Before you have done anything, you're his son. You're his daughter. Before you read a Bible verse, before you attended a church service, before you started, you know, trying to be discipled as a Christian, God loves you and loved you, and he is well pleased with you. You, you, you are a child of God. That identity is in him. One of the things that I felt the Lord tell me this week that I had to write it down because I want to remember it for the rest of my life was I, I felt like he said, I feel the I am blank for Jesus before experience and activity had a chance to. I, I wrote in that blank for my son before the experiences he was about to have, success or failure, before the activity he was about to do, good or bad, before that had a chance to identify him, I already wrote in the blank. And I feel the spirit of God telling you, right, he's, all, he's ready today, this morning, to go ahead and write in that blank of your life. You are blank. You're sitting there, I don't know, what, do I, what does this anagram say? What does this test say? What does 17 magazine say? Right? How do, what, what is it? And God says, let me write in that blank for you. Let me write in that blank. Before experience has opportunity to, before the worry of activity has opportunity to, let me, this is why it's so important to raise our kids in church. If you've got small kids, that's why it's so important. Because back there in v Kids, they're not just feeding them animal crackers and telling them to shut up. They're teaching them how to fill in the blank of who they are. Starting out. Now, let's talk about us because we're all messed up and dysfunctional, right? Because at some point, I didn't get saved till 17, 18 years old. That's 17 years that the world has to write in the blank of who I am. That's 17 years that friends, high school, popularity, grades, jobs, you know, coleslaw, ice cream, you know, whatever it is. Like all these things have opportunities to write in the blank of my life of who I am. So when I get saved, I have to allow the grace of Jesus to erase who I thought I was and write in permanent marker who I am stable secure the same yesterday today and forever not by activity not by good works but because of what christ did who god is that's who i am and so some of you this morning don't leave here without letting the spirit of god remove whatever you labeled yourself Somebody labeled you when you were a small kid, a mom, a dad, a spiritual influencer, labeled you. And you've been carrying that label like a sticker on your chest for years. And the Spirit of God would say, I'll use the Super Mario movie to be able to break that away so that I can start fresh and rewrite who you are in Him. Amen? We have to be careful who we let fill in that blank. I think it's so cool in the movie that he has this mushroom experience, right? Where, like, he takes this mushroom, and then all of a sudden it's him, but, he, you know, bigger hand, stronger, all these kind of things. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, that's the Word of God, and that's the Holy Spirit. That you and I are like, I can't do it. And we absorb the Holy Spirit. We, 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 we commit ourselves to the Word of God. And it starts to transform us and change us and empower us to be, watch this, Who we cannot be without him. Who we want to be, but we are not sure we are. And without him, we can't be. But in him, we are. And like that mushroom takes it and transforms when we embrace the word of God, when we embrace the Holy Spirit, when we walk and surrender our life to God and walk in the identity of God, we transform into who God says we are. Think about this. God didn't assume that Jesus was aware of how he felt. Isn't that interesting? God didn't just assume Jesus knew, and God doesn't assume you know either. He doesn't. The entire Bible, 66 books, is a love letter to you. Genesis, all the way to Revelation, is information for you that if you'll spend time studying it, you'll start to reveal how, how you'll start to see, realize how God sees you. Listen, y'all, you know, this, this concept of church and this concept of Bible reading and praying, it's not just religious actions that we do so that we can mark it off our list like grocery shopping. It's not something that we need to do just so we can keep up with the Browns. You know what I mean? Like, like this is something that God said, if you'll do this, you will begin to have an eye-opening revelation of how I see you and who you are to me. And when you can grasp who you are in God, it changes everything. You're a better husband, a better dad, a better mom, a better wife, a better friend, a better Christian, a better student, a better, you're you're better in every area when you can embrace who you are in God. Let's not miss this. Let's not just gather and walk out of here with the same sticker we came in with. Let's walk in and rip it off and say, God, who am I in you? He does not assume you know. So all throughout the Bible, he tells you in one verse. I'll just use one verse. John three sixteen. For God so loved the word, world, affirmation, right? That he gave his only begotten son, approval he gave, so that whosoever, acceptance. That's one verse, y'all and 66 books in the Bible. I'm doing a study right now personally in Genesis, and I'm going to throw it on you, I think, in 24. But we're just going to walk through all of Genesis and see the grace of God all the way through Genesis and realize that the entire book is for you to know who you are in God. The secret is for you and I to be who we are, already are in Christ. Watch this. You know, I think when it comes to embracing our identity in Christ, the struggle isn't so much in being who God says we are as much as it is believing in who God says we are, right? It's one thing to hear it in a sermon or to hear somebody say it, even read it in the Bible, but it's another thing to actually start moving in life like you believe it. I've shared with you guys before about my daughter, Casey Ray, playing flag football and the identity aspect with icebox and all this kind of stuff. And a couple of weeks ago, we had another game and the coach of the opposing team came up to me to let me know that their entire game plan was to stop my daughter, <laughs> which was interesting to me, but it was cool. And uh, so after the game, I was talking to Casey Ray about it and I told her, and she told me this story. And when I was prepping this message for you, the story came back to my mind. Well she was in the field, she was playing offense, and they're getting ready to hike the ball. And the coach of the opposing team is saying, everybody watch 12. Keep your eyes on 12. Don't let 12 get the ball. Just all this 12, 12, 12. Everybody watch 12. And Casey Ray said to me, she said, when I heard the coach say that, I thought to myself, wow, whoever number 12 on our team is must be some serious deal. So she said, I started looking down to see who number 12 was. And she said, I was looking, looking, couldn't find it. And she said, all of a sudden, I looked down and realized I'm number 12. And it was cool to see that moment where she was accepting the fact that the power is not in other people it's in you see i think if we're not careful we'll look around a room like this and go yeah i can see god's hand on their life and their life and i can see what god's doing in them but not but not me right and there's a moment i hope for some of you it's this morning where you just look down and realize oh he's talking about me would you stand with me this morning I want to read a scripture verse over you, and then I want to pray a couple of bullet points over you and ask you to really receive it this morning. So in Ephesians chapter 1, Pastor Paul, as we've been calling him, is talking to the church in Ephesus. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, watch this, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, that your eyes would be open so that you may know Him better that however you know him now that you would have a revelation in your wisdom and in your mind and in your heart that you would know him even better than you know him now he goes on to say I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know watch this the hope to which he has called you you not them you not them you not them, you, to which the hope God has called you on your life. Far above all rule and authority. I'm sorry, go back. I missed one. Sorry. The riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparable, incomparably great power for us who believe. That same power, which was the same power that raised Christ from the dead, it says his mighty strength exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion every name that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come will you throw those bullet points up for me real quick this, this is what pastor Paul is praying over his people he said I'm praying number one that you'd have opened eyes that your eyes would be open that you'd be ready for, for new teaching and new perspective that therefore as a result you would know him better And then in the process of knowing him better, you would realize the hope that you have. Not other people, but you. And then in the process of realizing the hope that you have, you would also find confidence and know, number one, you're calling in God. You're calling. To be able to be a strong man of God, a strong woman of God, to be able to impact people's lives for the gospel, you're calling. Number two, your inheritance. To know that for you, it doesn't end here. For you, the blessing and the reward and the love of God, it doesn't stop here. It goes on past earth and into eternity. And then he ends it by saying, and the power of God. Power so that you could overcome sin. So that you could do things that with boldness that you didn't think you'd be able to share the gospel. That you'd be able to minister to people, that you'd be able to be used by God. The power. Well, well, Troy, what kind of power? He goes so far to say the same power. power. That raised Christ from the dead. Pastor Paul is saying, I'm praying these things over you. And I wanna do that this morning. Do me a favor, just close your eyes in this place. I wanna pray this over you. Would you just kinda of put your arms up, however you would? Just receive. Just put your arms up, be ready to receive. Right now, just just, just help your heart be ready. Just be ready. Just say, God, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. For years, I've wondered about my identity. I've wondered who I am. I'm ready to be told. I'm ready to feel the presence of God. I'm ready to have revelation for my mind to be open, for my heart to be open. Father, I pray right now in this place to do what only you can do, that your Holy Spirit would come into this room and that you would begin to open the eyes of the people in this room. That right now, things they were told since they were kids, where they just start to forget their eyes would be open to what your scripture says, to what your word says, to the very same things you told Jesus is now over them, that they're loved, that they're called, that they're your son, their daughter, and that you're well-pleased with them. I pray right now that they would begin to know you better, that there's a hunger stirring in them to know you better, that they would leave here wanting to read, wanting to pray, wanting to have revelation of who you are. I pray that right now they begin to realize the hope that they have in you. That no matter what the situation is, if it's a physical hopelessness, there's hope in you. If there's a relational hopelessness, there's hope in you. If there's a financial hopelessness, there's hope in you. That they would start to realize that no matter what they're going through, their hope is in you. And then you would also give them revelation to your calling. That they have a calling over their life right now. There's people in here right now, they've been fighting, they know God's called them to do something, they're wondering if they're, if they're worthy right now, speak to their heart and say, I called you to do it. I called you to do it. It's the calling on your life. That they would realize their inheritance in you, that what we do as believers doesn't end here, but there are streets of gold, there is purpose beyond this, but while we're here, we'll celebrate, God, what you're doing here. And then last but not least, they would realize the power that you have within them. That as the song says, it's like a lion inside of them. Oh, that's my prayer right now, Father. They would realize the power of the Holy Spirit that is inside of them to do big things, great things. To be able to walk away from addictions and bondage. To be able to overcome sin. To be able to be used by you. To be able to have healthy marriages and raise kids who love you and are healthy. Father, just begin to affirm right now like only you can do. Come on, would you receive it this morning? Just receive it. Just say, Father, I I receive it. Whatever you're feeling on your heart, just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for calling me that. Thank you for giving me purpose. Thank you for affirming me. Thank you for loving me.